Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's winner go home for the Jaguars versus Titans, Lions versus Packers, Seahawks versus Rams, Patriots versus Bills, Dolphins versus Jets. BetOnline has you covered for all the Week 18 action with 10 playoff spots and 5 division titles on the line. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, with the link in the description to this episode to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take. It easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous January 2nd, 2023. I hope you all are having a fantabulous new year. Welcome into year five of the Take It Easy podcast. Five calendar years of doing this here show. Now, does that count 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023? Yes. Have we only done about three and a half years of this podcast? Yes, but that's besides the point. Five different calendar years we have been bringing you this show every single Monday through Friday, and occasionally wired up on Sundays, like we did yesterday with Morgan from Australia watching that TCU and Michigan college football playoff game. So check that out. It was a fun episode to do. This week, it's our NFL, well, this day, it's our NFL Monday podcast, our second to last NFL Monday podcast, because there's only one week left in the NFL season. Now that Nathaniel Hackett is fired, every NFL Monday is one NFL Monday closer to, um, I guess, uh, Cliff Kingsbury getting fired. Is he the next coach who's getting fired? Uh, A lot of people are going to sit quarterbacks next week, but we're one NFL Monday away from the last NFL Monday of this NFL season. And uh, this week, We are going to talk about the teams who will no longer be joining us for the remainder of this season and for the remainder of our football conversation. Because again, we talked uh, last week about the Broncos and the Raiders and how we probably won't talk about those teams again until probably March. And even when we do, it'll be just kind of mentioning them. But those teams don't matter anymore, just as uh, some of the teams we're going to mention today don't matter anymore. So... This is last NFL weekend. Um, Every year there's this weekend, and sometimes it's week 16. Sometimes it's week 15. Sometimes, if we get real lucky, it's week 18, just based on how the the schedule breaks down. Uh, It's the last week of the season. but, But there's always one week like this one. And what this week is, is the week when the teams who are in that giant in-the-hunt graphic that always includes like 11, 12, 13 teams 
for some reason when you make the playoff picture. This is the week where that list goes from like 12 teams long to eight. Each conference has like 12 teams in the in the hunt graphic because they technically are still alive and then they all vanish all at once. And uh, the last year, and I'm going to carry this over to this year, the term that I have for this is get up out the paint week because it's time for some of these teams to get up out the paint. Thank you for your participation. We commended you for your effort in the Mixies. Remember the Mixies, we do it on December 1st every single year for the past four years, or three years. Yeah, we've done it the last three years. Every year we do the Mixies Awards where we celebrate teams who are 9-20 to in the NFL, still have a puncher's chance of making the playoffs. If they do what Green Bay has done the last four weeks, they all of a sudden find themselves in a position where they go from having a 4% chance to make the playoffs to Green Bay having a win-and-in game against the Detroit Lions next week. Green Bay wins, they get the 7 seed. So the rest of you can get up out the paint, usually with good reason, because you are basically a third-place team. You have been a third-place team all season, but because the NFL... It works in such a way that the margins are so small and that random results happen all the time in the sport. Because the margins are so small, football finds itself in a position in which everyone is still in the hunt despite the fact that they have not been a playoff team all year, do not exhibit any of the qualities of a playoff team in terms of their scoring offense, their scoring defense, their DVOA rankings. Any statistic you can find does not back up the fact that this is a top half team in the league, but we have to pretend that they are still in the hunt. We don't have to, I don't do it, but then we get the one week where usually it's one result that happens that gets all the third place teams up out the paint, just because all of these teams have no chance of winning their division, minimal chance of making the wild card, and there's usually one result that happens with the second place team in, in one division that ends up wiping everyone else out. So, this week was our get up out the paint week, which looking at this, there are basically eight teams that got up out the paint. And I think this roughly correlates to being the third place team in your division. Now, it's not perfect. There's multiple teams from multiple divisions. But for the most part, the teams who got up out the paint are basically 17 through 24 in the NFL. These are the 17 through 24 teams in the league who all got up out the paint in the same week, which by the way, it's a testament to the structure of the NFL and small sample sizes and the margins being so thin in the sport that teams who are 17 through 24 were still technically alive for the playoffs with one week left to go in the season. Like that usually does, the joke that I've had about the Sacramento Kings or the New York Knicks for years is that they're always three games out of the playoffs with five to play or the New York Giants being four games out of the playoffs with six to play, but, or sorry, the San Francisco Giants, not the New York Giants, the San Francisco Giants being four games out with six to play. But this time there's only one game left to play. And a lot of these teams still had a puncher's chance of making the playoff. And last year, because of the bullshit Colts losing to the bullshit Jaguars and the, the prisoner's dilemma Chargers Raiders game, the Steelers, who had like a 4% chance of making the playoff, ended up getting in the playoff with astronomical odds to get in. So uh, we, we couldn't quite get them up out the paint, even though they then lost 35-0 to zero to Kansas City in the playoff. I know that wasn't the exact score, but that was basically the score of that Kansas City-Pittsburgh playoff game. So 
Yeah, we can get some of these guys up out the paint. And uh, Pittsburgh is one of those teams. Now, technically, we're recording this in the middle of Sunday night football. Baltimore is uh, tied right now with Pittsburgh. So, you know, we'll see what ends up happening in that game. But Pittsburgh, even if they beat Baltimore and even if they win next week, still has astronomical long shot odds to make the playoffs because the Steelers need to beat Baltimore, beat the sexual predators. Then they need Miami to lose to the Jets and the Patriots to lose to Buffalo and then Pittsburgh would get in as the seven seed so like their odds are incredibly long I'm just gonna say it right now we're gonna get Pittsburgh up out the paint I know that's a little bit silly because Pittsburgh was up out the paint last year and then they ended up making the playoff anyways but for the sake of this podcast we're gonna get Pittsburgh up out the paint which by the way Pittsburgh good job of making it this far into the season it was two uh it was week eight week eight Pittsburgh was two and six they started the season one and three and then they went to Kenny Pickett and I said that they had uh they had games against Tampa Buffalo Philadelphia and uh I think Miami and I looked at Pittsburgh I'm like they're gonna come out of that stretch two and six And by that point, they will have no chance of making it to the playoff. Even if TJ Watt comes back healthy, they will have no chance of making the playoff. And so this season is going to be about draft pick positioning for the Steelers. But the Steelers finished the season after that going 5-3. and They beat every team in the NFC South. They beat all teams with below 500 records, and they lost to all teams with above 500 records. So Pittsburgh was a better team than I thought they were. Congratulations to you, Pittsburgh. Now we can get you up out the paint. But I thought your season, we eulogized you guys back in week 8, and you guys made it all the way to week 17. Congratulations to you. You know who we didn't eulogize in week 8? Denver. Took us until this last week to eulogize Denver. Took us until uh, a couple weeks ago to eulogize the Arizona Cardinals. We, I was writing Pittsburgh off as one of the four worst teams in the NFL. And Pittsburgh, you made it to the end of the season. Congratulations to you. You're getting up out the paint. But we appreciate your incredible run this season, and you will have something to build towards as we articulated back in week eight of this year. Another team we did that for was Carolina. Carolina fired their coach after week four. It was October. I went back and looked. It was October 14th that we just copied and pasted the Baker Mayfield rant that we did back in July when Matt Rule got fired that basically outlined everything about the Carolina Panthers, which is like Baker Mayfield is better than Sam Darnold but doesn't actually move the needle a single game for Carolina. And lo and behold, Sam Darnold is better than Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield played the the rest of the season. They fired Matt Rule. No team has ever fired their coach for performance and ever made the playoff. The only one that that's happened was John Gruden last year for being a bigot. And no team has ever fired a coach for performance and made the playoffs. It just doesn't happen in the modern NFL. But Carolina almost did. They almost did it. And God damn, they were so close before Tampa Bay. For the first time this entire goddamn season, or at least the first time since week four, like Tampa, where did all that offense come from? <laughs> I was saying all year Tampa was incapable of scoring 20 points in a football game and I would have been correct they had scored 20 or more points once in the last 11 football games they played Arizona on Christmas and won 19 to 16 in overtime like Tampa is against Arizona's shitty defense and tanking team like you are 
incapable of scoring 20 points until you get to the fourth quarter of a winner-go-home game for the division. Then you score 21 points in the fourth quarter, and Mike Evans just bombs uh, J.C. Horn on a 57-yard touchdown and then bombs J.C. Horn on another 30-plus-yard touchdown and goes for 200 yards and two and three touchdowns. Just, just got smoked. <laughs> Where was all that offense the entire season, Tampa? When you had to do, when you had to win or go home, you were down eleven in the fourth quarter against Carolina. All of a sudden, all the offense just exploded all at once for Tampa. But that means we can get Carolina up out the paint, which is a huge accomplishment for Carolina. Getting Carolina up out the paint is an incredibly successful run for them because they fired their coach in week four. They were punting on the season. They cut Baker Mayfield and let him go to the Rams. The fact that Carolina was still in the playoff picture up until the very end is a testament to them. So Pittsburgh and Carolina, they represent a category of they were getting them up out the paint, but this was still a hugely successful season given where they were about eight weeks ago the fact that they made it that close at the end of the season is a positive for Carolina and Pittsburgh and I hope Steve Wilkes gets the Carolina Panthers head coaching job Um, so we can get those guys up out the paint the next category I'm just going to brush through real quickly because uh, these are the morally objectable teams who we have ignored all season I did it for Cleveland because as we talked about with the full Deshaun Watson podcast it, it just it made me feel better to just not acknowledge that team. Like some people thread the line of like, well, Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb did nothing wrong, so we can talk about them and uh, acknowledge the the sexual predator who's on their team. By the way, uh, did you notice on the uh, college football playoff broadcast when the uh, I think it was jo- uh, Sean McDonough was talking about um, you know bill o'brien oh sorry no this was the um this was dave pash on the sugar bowl he was like bill o'brien has certainly had his run of quarterbacks who he coached including and then he like paused with the texans and he like paused awkwardly knowing what he was about to do and he was like with deshaun watson and i was just like oh yeah you stepped into that one so it's good to know that even broadcasters feel this same sort of discomfort that i have where it's like oh can we just like they don't exist like we just nothing the, sec- the team that's enabling and protecting a sexual predator without facing repercussions or consequences as we've articulated over dozens of podcasts over the past 6 to 12 months. Can we just not acknowledge that Cleveland even exists within this space? Um, so Cleveland, we can get you up out the paint real quick. Uh, we wanted to do it all season. We did not acknowledge your team, did not watch any of your performances, get you up out the paint. Washington, same. once I did this with Cleveland, once I recognized, oh, you can still talk about the NFL while completely ignoring Cleveland like they don't even exist, I did the same thing with Washington, where I was like, yeah, no, Washington just doesn't even exist in my mind because of Dan Snyder and everything, you know, the the victims of the dozens and dozens whom we know about, we only know about this courtesy of the investigation by the NFL, by Congress, reporting done by the Washington Post and other journalistic outlets like Sports Illustrated, uh, whom, whom's reporting we have cited on this podcast multiple times when talking about the Washington case. 
just once I realized I could do that with Cleveland, I did the same thing with Washington where I'm like, I'm just not going to talk about this from any sort of football standpoint for Washington. Their team is irrelevant. Their owner is morally objectable on all sorts of levels beyond even the pale of like rich white people who have burned some bridges and done morally objectionable things to acquire their billions. Like you could all, all of that, even like Dan Snyder and Cleveland, both of y'all can get up out the paint is basically the way I'm saying. I don't want to talk about your football team. I don't want to acknowledge your football team. Both of you can get up out the paint and never come back for the next nine months because we ain't talking shit about Cleveland or Washington for the next nine months. Y'all can get up out the paint. You don't exist for different reasons that are both incredibly morally objectionable. So Cleveland and Washington get you up out the paint. You're both gone now. Next group of teams on this get up out the paint weekend, uh, we've got the New Orleans Saints. We can get them up out the paint. And you know what, New Orleans? I commend you. You had an excellent, excellent season. And I don't know if we'll get to talk about New Orleans again so far this year, but there's Sean Payton and Drew Brees left for a reason. Like They went all in on that 2020 season to try and get one title in the window that they had. Between 2017 and 2020, those four seasons, the New Orleans Saints won 50 regular season games. That's 12 and a half regular season wins per season. And this was before they moved to a 17 game season. The New Orleans Saints were so good for those four seasons. And the New Orleans Saints had the most wins in any four-year stretch in NFL history for a team that never made a Super Bowl. They went all in on those seasons. Drew Brees ruined Michael Thomas's career by playing him in a game. They were up five touchdowns and Michael Thomas breaking his leg and then playing through a whole season with a broken leg. And then last season and this season, not being able to get on the field because injuries have ravaged his body. Like, they ruined Michael Thomas's career. Drew Brees retired. They were in salary cap hell. They moved on from a whole bunch of players. They drafted some new ones. Davenport slides in. Peyton Turner slides in. They've they've reconstructed the roster entirely. Sean Payton left. I think Sean Payton's on his way back to New Orleans potentially. But the Saints basically went all in on those four years. And then the repercussions of that were Drew Brees left. Sean Payton left a year later. Michael Thomas's career is effectively over. They are building towards something new, but the remnants of that team are still good enough to get them into playoff positioning. Last year, the Saints should have been in the playoff if they win a tiebreaker against the Eagles, and I firmly believe that that Saints team could have done what the 49ers did last season, which was beat the Cowboys, beat the Packers, go to the NFC Championship. I think the Saints could have beat Tampa in the 7-2 game. They could have beat Green Bay because anyone could have beat Green Bay in that snow game in the divisional round. I think New Orleans could have done what the 49ers did last year, and this year's team was a lesser version of even that team. So they don't have a quarterback. Chris Olave's incredible piece. They won't have a first-round pick this season. The Saints are building towards something. I just don't know whether that's going to be good enough to get them beyond second place in the NFC South. And maybe Sean Payton coming back and Tom Brady moving to New Orleans like Walter and I think is just way too perfect of a confluence of events. Like All of that coming together might get the Saints to a wild-card position, but the last two seasons, you look at the Saints, they've gone 8-9, and nine, and they're on their way to uh, either 8-9 and nine or 7-10 and 10 this season, depending on what happens. 
the last week of the season against Carolina and the Saints are the Saints are that team. The Saints are a are like the ninth best team and they're between a second and third place team in the NFC South because uh the NFC South is not a very good division, but the Saints don't have enough talent to make a deep playoff run, but they might just be a star quarterback away because they have enough talent on both sides of the ball, including just hitting well on their draft picks. So I'm interested to see where the Saints go from here. I think Sean Payton would be a needle mover if he came back to New Orleans. They would get some draft compensation if another team wanted to hire Payton. They would get at least a first-round pick and more if another team wanted Sean Payton. So I think the Saints will be interesting to follow only from that vantage point and if one of those star quarterbacks comes to the Saints. Because the next two teams in this group, we had the get out the paint but overachieve Carolina and Pittsburgh. We had get out the paint morally abhorrent. Now we get to get up out the paint, see what you're building towards, which is the Saints know the quarterback of the future is not on the roster. I would suspect Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton won't be on the Saints next year. And the second team that I'm bringing up here, the New York Jets, I suspect they believe Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, and even Mike White won't be on the roster next year. I think Mike White will probably stay as a backup, but I think they probably suspect that of the quarterbacks they have right now, none of them will be starting next season, and at least two of them won't be on the team next year. Maybe all three, but at least two of them won't be on the team next year. So the Saints and Jets are kind of in similar positions where you have the talent base. The Jets is a little bit younger than the Saints, but that's not to say that the Jets don't have a mix of veterans and um, star players who are young. Like we know Sauce Gardner, we know Quinn and Williams just because they were top draft picks and we get kind of obsessive about the draft. But um, Jordan Whitehead had an awesome season. Uh, Quincy Williams has been fantastic for them. CJ Mosley coming back was a big part of that defense for the Jets. Like the Jets have more of a blend of veteran and young players than we might give credit for. And I think that's kind of the same space the Saints occupy right now because you still have the Cam Jordans, you still have the Demario Davises. Uh, Taran Matthew was there for a little bit, but obviously he went out earlier in the season. And the Saints also bring back Chris Olave on a rookie contract, putting up potentially like 1,500 receiving yards next season as one of the 10 best receivers in the NFL as a rookie. So you have Chris Olave, which hit as an awesome draft pick. You have uh, Ryan Ramchek, who's now uh, was a rookie contract, now going into his second contract as one of the best right tackles in the NFL. You have Cesar Ruiz, who I know offensive line isn't sexy, but graded out one of the better interior offensive linemen in the NFL, whom they picked in the first round. The New Orleans Saints, uh, Peyton Turner, Marcus Davenport are both former first round picks playing significant snaps. And in the case of Davenport, legitimately being one of the better edge rushers in the NFL. So, you know, the, the Saints have a blend of young and old across defense and offensive line and skill position. Jets are in the same camp, whether you want to talk about the defense or Mekhi Becton or Garrett Wilson or Brees Hall coming back from injury. Like the Jets and the Saints feel like they're in very similar positions. Both of them are probably posturing for Jimmy Garoppolo and also Tom Brady. I don't think Tom Brady would ever go to the Jets, but both teams are posturing for those guys. And if you're the Saints, you're either going to probably get Sean Payton back or you're going to get some draft compensation in exchange for Sean Payton that you can use to continue to build wherever you're going. So Saints and Jets are get up out the paint, solid roster, need a quarterback.
is the category that they reside in. And then the last two teams who we can get up out the paint are the Las Vegas Raiders, which Las Vegas Raiders, man, we already did the eulogy for them. So if you want 39 minutes of what we should do with the Raiders, check out last week's episode. I just want to talk about the end of that 49ers and Raiders game because you had Brock Purdy throwing an interception to keep the Raiders in the game. Raiders marching down the field with Stidham throwing 350 yards and three touchdowns and playing really entertaining football. Like, I know it was Brock Purdy and Jarrett Stidham, and I know the Niners are built on defense, and defense isn't always sexy, even though I think watching the Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and uh, Eric Armstead and Al Shair and that 49ers defense is incredibly exciting. It's the best defense in football, at least one of the best defenses in football. I know any given day that can go that can fluctuate like when Jarrett Stidham throws for 350 yards and three touchdowns. It's hard to say best defense in football, but statistically best defense in football over the past 8 weeks of the season. It's why the 49ers have won 8 consecutive games going back to the middle of October and San Francisco is San Francisco coming out of that game like you had entertaining offense Purdy throwing a bad interception that kept the the Raiders in the game Uh, the Raiders marching down the field and tying it the Robbie Gold missed the Purdy ball deflecting into the air Robbie Gold missing the kick Brandon Ayuk's gonna go for a thousand yards this year which is wild to think about God, you could look at all of that. It was so entertaining and then for it to end with Nick Bosa literally pushing Colton Miller into Stidham like Nick Bosa being so strong that he physically pushes the left tackle into the quarterback to deflect his pass that then leads to Deshaun Gibson who I didn't know Deshaun Gibson was playing for the for the 49ers because like the 49ers just fart out pro bowlers out of nowhere I know Gibson was a pro bowler like six years ago but like the 49ers get one player injured and they just fart out another pro bowler or a guy leaves and they just fart out another pro bowler on defense. Like San Francisco is just not normal, man. Everything San Francisco does is just not normal. And Nick Bosa is probably going to win defensive player of the year. I would lean towards Micah Parsons, although like not to discredit greatness, like both of them are incredible and they should both receive awards for the incredible seasons they've had. Nick Bosa pushing Colton Miller into Stidham, leading to the game-sealing interception that gets the 49ers the win, and by the way, keeps the 49ers alive for the number one seed in the NFC. Because we'll talk about seeding at some point later this week, but the Niners can still get the number one seed if Gardner Minshew loses to the Giants, who aren't playing for anything because the Giants have already locked up the sixth seed, so they might rest people. But Gardner Minshew loses to the Giants and... You have, and if Gardner Minshew loses to the Giants and the Cowboys beat Washington and the 49ers beat Arizona, 49ers get to be the number one seed. So that's still in play there. Uh, again, if you want Raiders talk, last week did a whole podcast about it, already eulogized them. The last team I will throw in get up out the paint, and I know it's not over for them. I know they're still alive going into week 18, and all they, but, but their, their fate is out of their control. Their fate is out of their control. They could win week 17 or win week 18 and still get sent home. And uh, that is the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins can get up out the paint because I was wrong. I was wrong about the Miami Dolphins. I had been saying consistently, we know that Baltimore 
Buffalo and and Kansas City are the best teams in football, and they will all make the divisional round. And now I'd like to adjust that to say Cincinnati, Buffalo, and and Kansas City will all make the divisional round. Who's the fourth team? Looks like it's going to be Miami. Y'all, Miami has uh, Miami has fallen off a cliff. Their defense is still not great, but now their offense is middle of the road in terms of scoring. We've done multiple, multiple podcasts about the Miami Dolphins offense. That pe- that Packers game, I didn't get to do a podcast about the Packers game, but it was just such a, I watched it from start to finish Christmas morning. It was such an interesting, interesting football game. And obviously, Tua throwing the three interceptions is the storyline coming out of the game. But just, the it learned, I learned so much about the Packers. And we'll probably talk about this with Gage Bridgeford or someone else down the road. But watching the Packers be able to run the football the way that they did against the Dolphins was interesting. And Teron Armstead was playing with like knee, peck, and elbow injuries, and I was, or toe, knee, and peck injuries. And I was just like, what the hell are we doing, football culture? <laughs> toe, knee, peck injuries for Teron Armstead listed on the injury report, and he's still playing because he's just so important to what the Dolphins do on the offensive line in the running game. Tua got a concussion. It all fell apart at the end, and they still almost beat the Patriots. They still just needed to beat the Patriots in Foxborough, and the Dolphins would have been in the playoffs. Clinch your spot. Now they have to beat the Jets, and the Patriots have to lose to the Bills for them to squeak in as the seven seed. And if they get the seven seed, they will get smoked by Kansas City, or they will get smoked by Buffalo <laughs> or Cincinnati. I don't know. The top of the AFC is really complicated. We'll explain it more after Buffalo and Cincinnati play on Monday Night Football. But the Dolphins, man, I was wrong about the Dolphins. And I think, like, I wasn't wrong about the analysis at the time. I just thought that the top five offense would be sustainable. Um, because of all of the skill position players that they had and because they were still even in their offensive struggles where we talked about how they scored three points against the 49ers and three points against the Chargers and how during that two and a half game stretch all of their touchdowns were 75 yard touchdown 66 yard touchdown a 40 something yard touchdown and a 50 something yard touchdown they had four touchdowns in two and a half games you know they had four touchdowns scored in nine quarters of football all of them were 40 plus yards three of them were 50 plus yards and those big plays are great but when the rest of the offense isn't executing your it, it mass it's just masking it in the stats like your offense played poorly you just had big plays for whatever the reasons might be well one well executed play a defensive breakdown However you get 75-yard touchdowns, it doesn't it's not an indicative of a healthy offense if the rest of the time you're punting, turning the ball over and kicking field goals like the Dolphins did during that three-game stretch but with the Packers, San Francisco, and the Chargers in which they went 0 and 3 and now I believe they've lost 5 games in a row. Tua's concussed and probably not going to play the remainder of the season and uh, even if they do beat the Jets next week who aren't playing for anything, they still need the Patriots to lose to Buffalo who may or may not be playing for something. We'll see what happens. The Jets have like a 50 or the, the Dolphins have like a 50-50 chance of getting in the playoffs, but the fact that they have a 50-50 chance of getting in the playoffs feels like we could get them on up out the paint because they had over an 80% chance of making the playoffs four weeks ago, and they've gone 0-4 since. So we can get the Dolphins up out the paint. I believed in you, and uh, now I have gone against that notion. But maybe next year will be the year that the Dolphins win their first playoff game 
in over 20 years. It's now 22 years. I thought this year would be the, the year that they maybe win their first playoff game because they were going to play the the Titans in the wild card game. But now it looks like they're not even going to make the playoffs. And if they do make it as the seven seed, they will get boat raced by Kansas City or Buffalo or Cincinnati. So Miami, we can get you up out the paint. I thought you were better than you were. And uh, evidence has pointed to the contrary. So that is get up out the paint week in the NFL. We got eight teams up out the paint. We eulogize most of them. Again, four categories of teams who finished third place in their divisions this year. I know it wasn't perfect with the divisions, but teams who finished in the third place category, you have the teams who this was a, being alive this late in the season was a massive success, being the Steelers and Panthers, teams who are morally objectionable, and so I would love nothing more than to not talk about them for the next nine months. That's Cleveland and Washington. Then we have teams who have solid rosters but need a quarterback to get over the edge and get the wild card. That's the Saints and the Jets. And we have the teams who get up out the paint for you know miscellaneous reasons, which are the Raiders and the Dolphins, um, both of whom made the big splashy moves of the offseason and both uh, look like they're striking out <laughs> once the season comes up, which I will reiterate the same thing again when we made the Devontae Adams trade and we made the Terry Kill trade. Which organizations do you trust more to get it right? Kansas City and Green Bay or the Raiders and the Dolphins? Teams who have the longest droughts of not winning a playoff game other than the Detroit Lions. Do you trust the Raiders and Dolphins or do you trust the Packers and the Chiefs to get it right? And lo and behold, I think the results are in. Uh, not that not, not that um, Green Bay is having a spectacular season, but Green Bay is also like pretty close to making the playoff. They just got to beat the Lions next week, which like, come on, man, Green Bay is going to beat the Lions. If we know anything about football over the last 25 years, win or go home game between Detroit and Green Bay, Green Bay is going to win that one. everybody it is time for us to award the week 17 philip rivers memorial kirk cousins purgatory award and for those who are new to the podcast and for those who might not be new to the podcast let me explain that this award is bestowed every single week here on the show to the quarterback who found themselves in kirk cousins purgatory formerly known as philip rivers purgatory which is down six points with no timeouts, one minute to play, and needing to go 75 yards down the field. And there was no true Kirk Cousins purgatory situation in this week's NFL, but if you'll go back to last week's episode, there were three 
in the NFL. We awarded two of them, one to Kirk Cousins himself, one to Malik Willis, who then got benched the next week for Joshua Dobbs. I don't know if that was for, like, resting purposes or Malik Willis has just been really bad, but they benched Malik Willis and he got his one Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Um, But there was a third quarterback last week who found themselves in a true Kirk Cousins Purgatory situation. It was down four, no timeouts, one minute to play, needing to go 80 yards. And uh, because there was no true Kirk Cousins Purgatory this week, we'll go back to last week and award Mac Jones with a Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Now, he's been snubbed a couple times now, including the the, the Thanksgiving game against Kirk Cousins. So Mac Jones now gets his second Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. Both have come this season, but there's been three or four situations where Mac Jones was in the game for the Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. We'll give it to him this week for his performance last week against the Bengals. They lost the game, but Mac Jones still put up a valiant effort. It doesn't matter whether you win or lose, just the status of being in Kirk Cousins Purgatory is more important. Uh, we also got to acknowledge, and we did acknowledge this on uh, our our watch party yesterday, J.J. McCarthy ended the college football playoff in Kirk Cousins Purgatory, a true Kirk Cousins Purgatory situation. Because Michigan, after all the seven touchdowns in six and a half minutes and 75-yard bombs and uh, turnovers and pick sixes and two of them by J.J. McCarthy, after all was said and done, it was 51-45 to TCU over Michigan, a six-point lead. Michigan got the ball off a TCU punt at the 20-yard line with 50 seconds to play and no timeouts, which is the exact circumstances for Kirk Cousins' purgatory. Remember, down six, could be six or seven, but six points, 50 seconds to go, that's one minute. No timeouts, needing to go the length of the field, 80 yards. J.J. McCarthy had a perfect Kirk Cousins' purgatory situation. I acknowledged it as such on the show when we were watching the very end of the game. Again, you can check out the full watch party if you so choose. But we had a Kirk Cousins purgatory situation. And J.J. McCarthy was the quarterback who was bestowed in those circumstances. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every Monday through Friday as well as Wired Up on Sundays like this last week. You can check out our college football playoff watch party. And if you're looking for conversation about playoff scenarios and such, which I wanted to do today, we're going to wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow's podcast, as of now, is going to be a Buffalo Bills versus Cincinnati Bengals post-game show where we do X's nose analysis of the game and talk about now the future clinching scenarios of the AFC playoffs because that thing can change a lot based on the results of that one game and based on the results of whatever happens in that Pittsburgh and Baltimore game, which at the time of recording, it's the second quarter and Pittsburgh's up 3-0 against Baltimore. So, or, I'm sorry, it's 3-3. Three it's now 3-3 three to three between Pittsburgh and Baltimore. So a lot can change on the AFC North standings with just the Buffalo-Cincinnati game itself. Like there's like six, uh, like if Cincinnati loses all of a sudden, Baltimore is, a, Cincinnati's now the five, but if they win, they're the two. It's all very convoluted and complicated. So I would just, I would recommend waiting until tomorrow to do all of that and tune in tomorrow when we will break down Buffalo, Kansas, uh, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and uh, do some other playoff reaction stuff. So in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.
Get up out the paint.